We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 75 of the That's So Mets podcast, uh, also known as the K-Rod episode. He's the only New York Met to wear the number 75, and that was because Johan Santana had his number already, which was 57. So I don't know if we'll ever see a Met wear 75 again. Honestly, I hope we do not. Some news going on, even with the lockout. The Mets are starting to fill out that coaching staff, Buck Showalter's staff, Joey Cora, has been hired to be their third base coach this year. So the team moves on from Gary DeSarcina, hires Joey Cora, a guy with plenty of experience. He's been in that role with the Pirates, I think, for half a decade now. And today, with the lockout going on and with uh, saving our guest for our Thursday YouTube streams, hopefully you guys are catching some of those, even if you miss it live. Uh, it's uploaded to the feed, the That's So Mets YouTube channel, right after 4.30 every Thursday. We have different guests on. Today, we're going to do a mailbag show on the podcast. It's a good time to get tons of your questions. I think Joe had 40 questions sent to him on Twitter, which is really amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. A lot of fun ones in here, of course, plenty that have to do with the Mets and some that have to do with the CBA. Uh, so it's a good time for that. And as always, we take the questions from iTunes as well. So thank you for the reviews. Joe, let's bring in here, man. What's going on? We are officially in the new year and we are not slowing down. Not slowing down at all. Uh Baseball is moving at a snail's pace, but uh, like like we've said in the past, uh, even when nothing's going on, it seems like something's going on with the Mets. As, as you mentioned, of course, Joey Cora and uh, Mike Puma of the New York Post also reported a couple possible bench ca- uh, bench coach candidates. Uh, John Russell, former big league manager, he also was a bench coach under Buck in Baltimore. And Clayton McCullough, the Dodgers first base coach, who actually interviewed for the managerial job with the Mets this offseason. So all in all, you know, it's it's moving along. I think the coaching staff is going to come together here in the next, I don't know, week or two. Like now that that first shoe is dropping, it feels like they're probably getting closer to that conclusion because they want to be they want to be set ahead of whenever this lockout ends. It's hard to sit here and and have a true take on things like the third base coach, like the bench coach, especially when they made the hire like Buck, an experienced guy, a guy that you trust to make these decisions. You're bringing back the pitching coach that we've seen have a lot of success in Jeremy Hefner. 
so I don't necessarily have a huge take on this, but I will say quietly, and this is, you know, nitpicking in a sense, I thought it was a pretty rough year for Gary DeSarcina at third base. I think he was very, very conservative for the most part. And yeah. then I think at times he, uh, to make up for maybe some of that outside noise about how conservative he was, he sometimes would randomly send somebody that had no business being sent. Now, it's going to be a little easier this year because the Mets, quite frankly, I think are going to have more speed on the bases, right? You got a guy like Marte, even Canna has average speed that, you know, on base speed that this will probably be a, a more athletic team or at least somewhat better than what we're traditionally used to. The Mets are not a running team, uh, but overall, I, I think it's it's no secret. It was time to find someone else. Definitely. And and Cora is known as a more aggressive third base coach. And right. uh, I had read on some Pirates blogs that uh, they thought he was maybe too aggressive, but uh, whatever. I mean, they got a third base coach. He's done the job for a while. He's a good baseball man. No problem. But I will say, as far as your uh, point where you said, like, you don't really have a take on like a bench coach and on these things. To me, the bench coach and the hitting coach are going to be the most important hires uh, for this staff. Just because uh, I think I mentioned it previously on this show, Buck being, you know, your old school guy, I very much want the person sitting next to him to be more analytically driven. So that way that, that person can be the conduit between the front office, the research and development staff and Buck Showalter because Buck's receptive to the information. But I think live in game, he he really needs someone sitting next to him that can give him that information on the spot and help him make the most informed decision possible. And then the hitting coach, super important. I mean, it was the 27th ranked offense. A lot of people had career bad years, not career best years. So whoever they hire for a hitting coach has to turn around an offense that has talent, but has people that underperformed. Like we don't know who's going to get traded or not traded, but how do you get more out of Francisco Lindor? How do you get more out of uh, Jeff McNeil? How do you get more out of Dom Smith? Uh, J.D. Davis kind of hit to his career norms statistically, but it felt like he never got a hit. So I don't understand how he actually got there. But it, yeah, I think those are two important positions, but like first base coach and third base coach, like to me, what's most important there is their, uh, their jobs as infield instructors or outfield instructors. So that way the team defense continues to improve. Yeah, and with the amount of money this team has spent on team defense, you hope that uh, it's not an issue no matter what. I mean, the, the fact is they have a near $350 million shortstop who was great in the field last year, and I don't want to lose sight of that. For the slow start for Lindor, the injuries, uh, Lindor was not only never an issue at short, he was a huge plus in, in my eyes. And Marte in center, having Nimmo in a corner, we know that Canna can be productive in a corner. We're still curious to see if there's going to be an addition made in this infield as well. I think Pete's really improved over time at first. I really like McCann's arm. I think there was obviously ups and downs with McCann, but Nito is as good as it gets in terms of a uh, defensive backup. So team defense overall you know, should not be an issue. But yeah, you're right, Joe. I think for me, not having a take, it's more so... Uh, I'd be sitting sitting here and lying to you if I, I'm going to know, you know, the positives and negatives of who they actually end up making that decision. But you're absolutely spot on that the approach, uh, the relationship with the hitters, really the hitters trusting whoever is coaching them. is, a, And that was something that 
you know, as much as Chili, I think that it was overblown, the reaction to him being let go. It was pretty clear guys like Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, uh, I think Michael Conforto, they loved the guy. And when you love your coaches, you trust them what they say, and, and it gives you a different belief. So it's something to keep an eye on. But, uh, you know, we're not going to spend an overwhelming amount of time on the hires today, probably for next week when the staff is filled out, if that's uh, how it is. But I want to get right into the mailbag because you got sent so many good questions. And let's start with the only one that was not sent to you on Twitter. This is a latest iTunes review from Statman725. He asked, how did you guys get your jobs? And what do you think went wrong with Fernando Martinez? So I say we start with the latter part of that, Joe. What do you think went wrong with F Mart? So he started to get some nagging injuries that I think impacted him. And he just, it's its a little baffling because he did perform at the upper minor. So it's not like he reached double A or triple A and then all of a sudden struggled. It just seems like it's a guy that had a few injuries build up. And the reality is he ended up being a, a 4A player, like a guy that was good enough to play in AAA, but not good enough to hack it in the big leagues. I think uh, ultimately the the bat speed didn't really translate to the major league level. Like he still obviously had, had contact ability, but once he got there, it just felt like the game was always big for him. And the reality too is a lot of people can't handle the pressure of being a top prospect and in a big market like New York. It's a, it's a little easier to be a top prospect in Kansas City where you go and if you're good, that's great. If you're not, eh, it, it is what it is. Like it's not it's not a big story. Like Fernando Martinez is a big story because he's a Mets prospect that didn't pan out. Uh, if he was anywhere else, it would not have been so much a story. But yeah, I think it, it was a combination of factors and I, I do wonder how much the pressure uh, may have gotten to him. Joe, do you ever wonder that if part of it, too, is I know it was only, what, 13 years ago that he was a prospect um, that was in a you know part of the minors that does get some eyes, right? He was in Binghamton in, in 2007 and 2008. But do you wonder, too, that it was just a different timeline where it, it was maybe easier to create hype about a guy and you would just kind of run with it. And I'm not saying you did that. I mean, literally everybody around the Mets did that, but more so, you know, when you really dive in and look at his minor league numbers, he was good for his age, which is interesting. He, you know, he was a 19 year old, 18 year old at double A when he was in triple A, he was only 20. So he was a young prospect for the time. But the reality is he never really dominated in my eyes in 2009 in Buffalo. He had a really good he had a good season. He had an 877 OPS. He did hit, you know, eight home runs in 45 games. But there was never you look at his numbers. He was never really dominated in the minors where I, I don't know. It felt like more hype train rather than this guy's been impossible to get out at every level of the minors. And it just didn't work out in the big leagues. Definitely a part of it. I think the hype was definitely bigger. And, and like you said, the coverage of minor league baseball is tenfold a hundredfold a thousandfold from what it was back in 2007 like I was one of the only people talking about Mets prospects in 2007 now now there's a bunch of different blogs Twitter accounts channels things like that that uh that talk about Mets prospects so yeah I think that's definitely definitely could have been a factor that it was a bit more hype than substance uh to me when I would talk to people back then it was always he's performing 
for his age at that level. Like you, like you mentioned, it was yeah. like, he's young for this level. He's impressing us. The tools are there. You know, he just got to put it all together and just never, ever put it all together, unfortunately. All right. So the other part of that, which I'll start off with, you asked, how did you guys get your jobs? And I, I would assume he's alluding to um, Joe does a ton of work around the Mets, the Mets draft, the MLB draft as a whole for SNY, which is obviously the Mets network. Um, and I do the NFL draft full time at Bleacher Report and, and have a lot of wear a lot of hats in between that SNY stuff uh, for the Jets. Then obviously you and I collaborated to start the show. So for me, uh, it was probably a little similar, a little similar to you in a way that we're part of that generation that kind of just started on the Internet. Right. Like for me, I was in college. I was going to business school and I just made a Twitter account and and blogged about the Jets, podcasted about the NFL draft, tweeted about the NFL draft, wrote about prospects year after year. And I was fortunate enough to get an assistant researcher position, very, very entry level, but uh, coming out of college that it, it did become a full time thing for me. But more so it, the very it's a very long story that I will not use uh, today's pod on of, of the whole thing. But the overall thing is, I think you and I, Joe, are in that unique space where neither of us went to an ex- not only an expensive journalism school. We didn't go to journalism school at all, broadcasting school at all. We are just Internet or, you know, origins of being an internet analyst and it translating to part of our careers being heavily involved in broadcasting, podcasting, writing, analyzing, and and everything like that. No, that that's pretty much exactly it. Like I started writing about the Mets minors when I was 15 years old. I just found a, a blog. It was a guy, Will, Will Musto owned it. It was SheaBaseball.com. He let me write about minor league stuff because, uh, I think I had mentioned in the past, the New Haven Ravens were local to me. They were a double A team uh, for the Rockies, the the Blue Jays, the Mariners, couple teams. And the Binghamton Mets would always come to town five minutes from my house. Uh, so that's kind of where I got my love of minor leagues. But I think the reality is, like you said, there's an internet thing. I make I made a Twitter account. I had my own website for a little bit that I just didn't feel like doing because it was too much. <laughs> Um, so I just had same, the, I just had done that. Yep. I just had the Twitter account thought it was, you know, it was fun to just talk about prospects with people and just talk about the Mets. And, um, frankly, it's the reason that I'm a, a thing, I guess, or whatever I'm air quoting, like the reason this is it the way it is, is because you all follow me and you interact with me. If I was just spewing this stuff into the ether and no one was looking at it, then, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. Um, so obviously it's a, a big shout out to everyone. Like the fact I, I was talking to a friend the other day and like, I don't really care so much about follower account after I got to 10 K that's when I cared. Cause I wanted it to be something K not like 9,268. Like I wanted it to say 10 K like after that, I kind of didn't care so much about follower account, but I was talking to someone that asked about it and I'm just like, dude, I have no idea how I got to this follower account. Like it just, I just do what I would do in in general, just talk about the Mets with people. So maybe that just resonates with everyone. And uh, yeah, no, I think big factor is the writing that I did. I've always loved to write. So um, even in high school, like I would, I, I excelled in English class. So writing was always something that came natural. Um, I don't really shut the hell up. So talking is natural to me. So that that's worked out. Um, and 
as far as the podcast goes, like Connor and I just talked in DM for a year, a year and a half or something. And it would, it's funny because like our interests just intersected. It was like, exactly. I followed Connor because I wanted NFL draft stuff. Because if you don't know, I'm obsessed with the NFL draft, like not Connor, but like Connor and I have, have a lot of NFL draft talks. And uh, so I followed him for that. He followed me back and followed me for Met stuff. And it just turns out that our interests really intersected and we went back and forth a lot. And I think you you asked one day, you're like, hey, do you want to just do a podcast? And, you know, lo and behold, we're here. And uh, I looked up at the end of the year, which a big thank you to all of you for this. Um, we actually made the top 20 baseball podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And we're the number one ranked Mets podcast in the United States on Apple Podcasts. So, like, that's freaking cool. So, yeah, man, uh, that's a very long-winded way of saying that, like, if it wasn't for everyone listening and tweeting and all that, I may just be some dude with, you know, no followers just tweeting my thoughts into the ether. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a fun run, and I know I have a lot a lot more to do. It's extremely well said. I think that you nailed it. And if people didn't know the story about the origin of the show, that is literally it. Joe and I used to just DM nonstop. I would I would pepper him with MLB draft questions because I didn't know a single thing about the MLB draft every year. Um, and and then Mets questions and me and him would talk about the NFL and fantasy. And I, I just couldn't believe he didn't have a Mets podcast. And as a I'm not a diehard podcast listener, but there are a few I listen to. And at that time, I was like, there's nothing I had. I felt like I had nowhere to go for Mets content. And I I couldn't believe that, considering there are eight trillion Mets fans that are absolutely like when we had Ron Pope on, who's the man on our stream. He's like, I listen to like every Mets pod. And I'm like, I bet there's a lot of people like that. And for me, it was like, I think Joe needs one. I love hosting. Like, I don't need to just sit there and analyze all the time for the draft and football and everything like that. I gladly will. And on here, I'll give a take when I have one. But I, I genuinely have a love for hosting. And I was like, this could be a lot of fun. And it has been a lot of fun. And I'm I don't know if I'm surprised that it's already where it is, because I knew that you would naturally be really good at this. I knew that people uh, would give us a chance. But I, I am grateful, like you said, that it's the show. When you texted me that, I was like, that's unbelievable. And and the fact that we're there now, who knows where it could be when this team is competing for the playoffs or, or in a World Series or still making big moves. It's a lot of fun. Um, and and it, it goes back to the origin of this question that is, you know, how did you start? There was a time, it definitely when, when I was a kid, you know, that people just went to broadcasting school. And then if they were really good and a couple of things fell their way, then you're on air and you're hosting and you're going to be working with a lot of former athletes that are are the analysts. And now we live in a time where like you could still do that. And that's really cool. But I think it's also even more cool that we live in a time where people choose who they like and who they want to hear from. That's what it comes down to. Like that's people choose. Now, not every guy with, you know, 20, 30,000 followers on Twitter does get to go work for a network or a place like that. But more often than not, there's a reason they have that following that engagement and they do get chances uh, at, to do this. And, and it's it's really cool that we do live in that time. I think it's as much as social media can just be, you know, toxic or there's issues with it or things like that. One of the huge sides of it is that it does give people a chance 
to have a million different avenues into this industry. And I think that that's just a great thing. Uh, and it's made for better content, right? Like, God, remember the days you wake up and like, this was cool. Like, I used to love staying up late and, and watching like baseball tonight or like waking up and watching Sports Center for two hours and like learning everything that happened the day before. But let's be real. Like, it's it's much more cool that you can go find your content that you want uh, much easier at any hour, much quicker and for the teams or things that you like. So uh, I really appreciate that question and review from Statman. On to the next one, a little bit more baseball specific from Eric Briggs. And Joe, I'm going to throw this one your way first. He said, CBA question. Now that it looks like the playoff system will be changing with the new CBA, what would your ideal playoff structure look like? Uh, so this is a tough one. Like, I'm not a huge fan of too much expansion. Um, I know the positives to it. Like, more teams are competitive. More teams are, quote unquote, trying to win. There's a little less tanking. But I also don't like rewarding teams that aren't good, right? Like team, like I mean, in the NFL, you see it. They have expanded the playoffs. You've seen years where teams win six or seven games and make the playoffs, and it's like that's not really a playoff team. Uh, but I, I have the expectation that they will expand a little bit. Honestly, I kind of like the structure that they have in place now. I think the one game wild card is really annoying if you're a fan of the team that loses that game. But that's electric, like one game, get yourself in the dance. And then from there, you have the division teams like, honestly, I this may not be overly popular, but I kind of like the way it is. OK, that's that's fair. And I do think it it's lasted this long for a reason. Right. What I will say, I'm going to throw a crazy idea at you and you could say you absolutely hate it. You could say and it might not be even, even be realistic, but obviously baseball has a marketing problem an appeal problem in terms of appealing to a younger audience i mean you and i love it anyone listening to the show obviously loves it but there's no denying that baseball is struggling to grab the attention of a younger audience in ways that the nfl the nba i even think hockey is doing a really good job i know they have a long ways to go but i i it's no it's no doubt that baseball has been struggling one thing that I th- when I read this question that I thought of in the top of my head was and it's a it's a little bit inspired by the field of dreams, a little bit inspired by spring training, and it's just a little bit inspired by trying to do something so off the walls. What if the American League and the National League in the middle of the season, right, or I guess around the All-Star break or even a- as a replacement for the All-Star break, which I think personally is not nearly as special as it once was. Maybe that's a personal opinion. They did a midsummer classic each league where it's just a total tournament. You have the American League tournament, you have the National League tournament, and the game structures are different, right? Say it's seven inning games, say it's win uh lose and you're out. And they do a tournament that is in a special location, right? Like the Field of Dreams, or you even probably not do it international with everything going on right now, though it can expand to that. You make a unique stadium structure and you sell the tickets for people to attend the tournament as a whole. And whatever team wins that midsummer classic tournament gets an automatic bid for the playoffs as the extra playoff team. Now, I know that creates problems because then you ask, what is that team playing for for the rest of the year? Are they going to start resting arms? Those are problems that I can't figure out at this moment. <laughs> right. But I, I think some kind of midsummer tournament 
with a unique venue with some kind of special reward is something that baseball is going to have to look into to get creative at some point. I mean, that is certainly unique. I've, I'll, I'll give you this. I've never heard anyone suggest anything like that. Um, <laughs> so I don't have a, a crazy immediate reaction, but I think to your point, they have to find more unique ways to get more fan bases involved, more teams involved. Like I'm kind of backtracking a little bit of what I said, but like, you know, convert like the counter to what I said is, all right, well, a team like the Angels, like we've missed Mike Trout's entire career and he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you expand playoff teams and it there's a couple more teams in each league, maybe Mike Trout is hitting that national spotlight the way he should by being on Fox for playoff games. Um, so it's it's honestly, I think to me, probably one of the toughest things that are going to have to be figured out in this CBA negotiation is what is the right playoff format? Um, I know that the owners uh, want expansion and the players are not so keen on it. Um, so it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this one goes. Like this is this is the first question that we've gotten in the mailbag that I feel like I don't have a great answer for. Yeah, it's it's really tough. And there's a reason you don't have a great answer is because the people paid an unbelievable amount of money don't have an answer for it. Nobody has an answer for it. So I think my idea has a lot of flaws, right? But when you're talking about starting with something completely from scratch, I, I think they have to try put everything on the table and then see what really works. I'm not saying execute them because there are flaws, but they need to be more creative in some kind of way. Like I look at what the NHL has done with the winter classic. And I think it's, it's really remarkable, especially after just watching the one that took place in Minnesota. Does that game have any meaning? I don't watch hockey at all. Like, does no, that, it's, it's, it's a regular it, season game. Yes. Oh, it's just like a, it's kind of like the field of dreams game, so to speak. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, but I mean, it's just incredibly well done. And I think that obviously baseball is, you know, not late, but definitely not early in terms of the field of dreams concept of the game. And apparently everybody's saying they juice the balls for that game, which is hilarious, by the way. I hope they um, did. I think they did. Yeah. When you look at the way that <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right. We got a long mailbag. I'll keep things going. Uh, and this one is kind of relevant from the last one we uh, answered. An insane Mets fan said, how would you rank the big four sports commissioners? And then said Manfred at the bottom of the list, question mark. I'll let you kick this one off. So I is Gary Bettman still the NHL commissioner? Yes, That's, he is. All right, cool. See, I knew that one. Um, I don't know, but it seems like I've heard you've definitely talked hockey and it feels like it's heading in the right direction. But from my vantage point, I think the best commissioner in sports is Adam Silver in the NBA. I think absolutely. I think he does the best job. Um I don't love Roger Goodell, but I don't hate Roger Goodell either. So I'm going to put him third, and I'm just going to go off the fact that you say nice things about hockey and put Gary Bettman second. And there's no question in my eyes that Rob Manfred's at the bottom of this list. And I'm not on MLB Network, so I'm not going to get fired for saying that. Yeah, I think this is pretty timely because of something like that. And I have had issues with the way Manfred's done things well before Ken Rosenthal was was, you know, I don't even want to get into it. And there was questions we got about that. And uh, because we work in sports media, I, I don't want to get too into that. But I think this answer to this question will give you everything you need to know. 
I would put Silver at the top like you. I would put Roger number two, which might shock people. And it's not really a compliment to him. It's more so an insult to these next two. Bettman and then Manfred are terrible, quite frankly. And hockey has done some really good things lately. And no doubt about that. But they've also struggled with a lot of different things. Um, A lot of different things. And, you know, and, and a lot of it starts with, you know, player safety in terms of I think how they enforce or don't enforce suspensions is a a complete joke in hockey I think that you know the officiating is is another problem but it's it's a little bit more up and down it's not just all down but just sticking with baseball I mean it's hard to do a worse job than he has I'm going to be honest with you I think that this is also very personal to me and I'm answering this as a biased baseball fan I think it is criminal that the Wilpons were allowed to get away with what they did for as long as they did. And I use the word criminal. I think it is uh, pathetic. I think it damaged the game, allowing them to control a baseball franchise that has a lot of value and power for your league. And you let it completely sink, to be honest with you. And thank God that you know, the Mets are where they are now and we could all sit here and I don't know if we can laugh about it because I it was not a fun time and it's not really funny right now. And thank God Steve Cohen is here and thank God it seems like uh, the Mets are, are going in the right direction. But that's that's part of it. But I think the issues are deeper than just what has gone on with the Mets ownership. I think that Manfred has has not really done many things right, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think. To your, to your point, you know, not diving too, too deep into it just because of the world that we live in. But um, yeah, I I don't know what Rob Manfred has done to grow the game in a significant way. I just I just Nothing. don't I just don't see it. So, um, I mean, he like he partnered with the Players Alliance, which is a good thing, um, I guess. But yeah, for to be honest, I just can't think of much that he is he has done to grow the game. Uh, hopefully. This next CBA, we see some things that improve the game, uh, attract some younger viewers, uh, make bigger events out of their events, like make the all like uh, the all star game doesn't have to be for home field. I always thought that was asinine to do, but it's insane. Find a way to make the all star game something that I actually want to watch because I don't watch the all star game at all. Haven't watched it in years. Like I might look and see like when a Met is coming to bat, turn it on watch him swing and then turn it off again. Um, the home run derby, that's still to me, that, like I still have good feelings for the home run derby. Like that one, I'm still okay with. Um, the futures game should get way more publication than it does. It's basically like lumped in with the celebrity softball game when the reality is the players in the futures game, just go, just Google futures game roster like 2018. Like I don't know who was in it off the top of my head, but I guarantee it's a bunch of current big league stars that were in that game. So they should be marketing that game more. Uh, The MLB draft moving to all-star week, I think was actually a pretty good decision. Uh, Now it's about growing that event. The MLB draft should be, it'll never be the NFL draft just by virtue of obviously league to league. It's not comparable, but the fact that the Mets will draft whoever they draft at number 11 overall, and then he will go shut away to Brooklyn and St. Lucie and Binghamton, New York and everything until he eventually like makes the bigs. Whereas, you know, whoever the Jets draft with their top five pick, he will be playing for the Jets September of 2022. So 
but if they could find a way to grow that event, I think uh, certainly I want to see more players attending the event. Um, it's not great when you have, you know, 30 players drafted in the first round of a draft and like two of them are there and they get four people total to show up. Uh, so hopefully they could entice more players to come. And um, I think moving it to all-star to all-star week can help with that because now college baseball is over. The draft used to be literally in the middle of the college world series, like playoff system. Like I remember the Mets drafting Pete Alonso. And then the next day he's on ESPN two batting for the Florida Gators. And I'm just like, and it's just like, Oh, Pete Alonso was a second round pick by the Mets yesterday. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? Uh, so moving it, I think was cool. Now continue to grow that event. And um, I must say there is a lot of bias in that statement. <laughs> No, I totally understand that. But you're right. Bias aside, you're absolutely right. And let me make this clear. I I think I say this with you know with the caveat that this CBA can can make me uh, take back some of the things I said about Manfred, or maybe not take them back, but start to look at him in a more positive light. If this CBA does a lot of the right things for the players and for the game, and, and a huge problem with the game, and this is the most unbiased thing I could say. Because we root for a team that has an owner now that can eat alive the free agent market because he has more money than God. But I look at teams like the Pirates and the Rays and or, or you know, the Guardians, teams that actually have money and just don't spend a dime. And, and I think for me, you know, that is and at least the Rays have an infrastructure where they compete. But when you look at someone like the Pirates, it's disgusting. And, and I understand. I'm I, trust me. I'm no dummy. I know the commissioners work for the owners. I. <laughs> I fully get that. But at the end of the day, you also work for the greater good of the game and the sport. And it's a gigantic issue in baseball. It's a gigantic issue. And it's got to be better. And like I said, this is not personal. It's not nothing. It's not personal or anything like that. I just think that you get reviewed on. Like if I got on this podcast and didn't know a single thing about the Mets or offered no offered nothing of substance then people should write bad iTunes reviews and say, you need to be better. You need to do more prep. You, you, you have no delivery. You're like, then go ahead. But that's how I feel about Manfred. He has opened himself up to criticism and none of it's personal, but a lot of it is uh, he's done a bad job and it needs to be better. And this is a huge opportunity to, to improve what he's done. I I'd really like to see a salary floor that coincides with revenue sharing that you get. hundred percent. To me, that's the biggest problem. Like I don't, it could be a growing thing. Like, I don't think they should on February 15th say everyone has to have a hundred million dollar payroll, but I think there should be like, if you want this revenue sharing, you have to spend some money. Like we're not like the pirates and the teams like that. Those teams are the ones that are what's wrong with baseball. Like it's okay to rebuild. It's okay. Like there's different strategies. I totally understand that. Like everyone can't be going for the gullet every year. But at the same time, there's far too many teams that are purposely trying to not be good. And they are taking the revenue sharing from all of the big market teams and basically pocketing it. And that is not what revenue sharing is geared to do. The point of revenue sharing is, okay, we understand that the pirates are not going to spend the same amount of money as Steve Cohen. Like, that would be unfair to expect of them. But we give you some money. The Met, like... The Mets are part of the revenue sharing where they give money to the smaller market teams. And 
they just take the money and don't spend it on the field. So there has to be some correlation, in my opinion, with payroll and actually getting that revenue sharing. Like, I think if you don't spend that money, you should not get that money. Like, you should be required to take that money and put it back in the team because that is the purpose of revenue sharing. It's not just to make the smaller market owners richer. <laughs> I mean, you're spot on. It's definitely not, but unfortunately, you know, what we live in, that's what's going on. So, all right, we'll keep an eye on that one. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next question is specifically for Joe. Uh, This one is from Ken. Ken Madden, thank you. He said, I'm a fellow Mets Cowboys fan from Illinois. Joe, how did you become a fan of at least uh, one pro team not in the state that you are from? Well, there is no pro teams in the state that I'm from. So that made it. I was just going to say that. that. I'm glad you did. Yeah, that made it super easy. Um, No offense to the Connecticut Sun. Great WNBA team. They made the finals like a year or two ago. Um, But how did I become a fan of these teams? So Mets, I mean, I'm from Southern Connecticut. So Connecticut's kind of split in half, if you don't know much about it. Like the Southern half of Connecticut is New York fans for the most part. And Northern Connecticut is more Boston fans. Uh, So Mets were just the team that my mom loved and she dragged me to Shea Stadium. And that I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, as far as the Cowboys, that's probably the more unique one. Like they're America's team. 
their most popular and most hated team in America. So either or. Um, so that really comes from, you know, my family, like my cousin, is a big Cowboys fan. Um, we used to hang out there a lot and I would watch the Cowboys and, you know, he's older and I used to look up to him and he listens to this podcast because he's also Mets Cowboys. So I don't look up to him anymore. He looks up to me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, but uh, no, I spent a lot of time with him growing up and the Cowboys were good, too. So um, that was obviously a big factor when, you know, I hate to put it this way, but when you're five or six years old and you just see the same team winning every year because the Cowboys rallied off their Super Bowls in the 90s. It was kind of easy to hop on the train. And, you know, to my credit, I've I've stayed on that train despite them doing essentially nothing for the last 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, nobody can call you a, uh, a front runner, I don't think, <laughs> the no. way you are as diehard as they come. And and it's legit. You're not you're not the old uh, Lakers, Cowboys, Yankee fan trio. So and I know nobody listening to this podcast is so I could say that here. OK, next question here as we go down the mega mailbag. Uh, thank you for that one. Ken, this one from Milo Mitchell. If the MLB were to create an expansion team, where would you want them to play and what would be their team slash mascot name? That latter part's hard. I think we could focus in on location. Is there anything that comes to the top of mind that like you think? A certain city needs a baseball team, Joe. Montreal Expos. Yeah, I, just, I agree with just that. Just do it up again. Like Montreal is dying for a baseball team. Um, I think that's probably the best market. And I would just bring the Expos back and just don't, I mean, update the logo and things like that, but just make the Montreal Expos again. Uh, I think, I'm trying to think who, where else though, because to me, that's kind of like the obvious answer. Uh, I know that Nashville wants to eventually get a team. Um I don't know what you would call them. Uh, that's a that's a good one. But Nashville's a spot. Um, I know Portland, Oregon wants a team, which eh, I could do or do without. Um, Las Vegas is seemingly in position to get the Oakland A's. To get some, everything? Yeah, yeah. They're going to get the A's soon. So Las Vegas will be some the Las Vegas somethings. I, I wish I was better at creating team names but uh i think it's clear that also the teams that get paid a lot of money to make their team names don't do a good job when they change them uh i don't i don't particularly like the cleveland guardians um i the washington football team i can't wait to see what they name that team uh i'm sure it'll be terrible <laughs> uh, but yeah those are the those are the locations so i'm I can't help you much with the team mascot name. Maybe maybe Connor could be a little better at that. But I think Montreal, Nashville, and Vegas are probably like the top three. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, it Vegas doesn't really do anything for me, but I get it from a strategic standpoint. I, I, I'm I going to Montreal for the first time this summer. I really am excited because I've heard it's a beautiful city. And um, I, I from everything I've heard, it aligns with your points. that And, and we've seen it before, but... It, now it's it's very evident they could use a baseball team. Nashville is probably the spot. It has become a uh, tourist mammoth. It's it. You know, I know Logan Ryan recently made the comments about Titan. Nobody going to Titans games. That's just not simply true anymore. The Titans have uh, an exceptional turnout and it, it helps that they're good. But I, I I talk to people all the time that when they go to Nashville bachelor parties, like, yeah, going to a Titans game, right? And it happens to the Preds all the time. The Preds have a great turnout and it's no coincidence that they're really good. I think Nashville is a great hub for 
tourism, real estate, and when that happens, sports fall into that bucket as well. And you're seeing it with the Preds, you're seeing it with the Titans, and, and it would correlate with a baseball team, especially because, quite frankly, it it, all, it doesn't really matter. People are always going to bachelor and bachelorette parties there, but I think that it's no secret. You know, people would love to to do that during baseball season and it aligns it's a fun thing to do you can go have drinks and catch a baseball game and see a new ballpark and you can build things around the ballpark that that align with um you know traditional customs of what nashville offers you know the hot chicken sandwiches and country music and everything like that so i think from a business standpoint you're all over it that's absolutely it i wonder though i it would take me a while to do like color palette mascot teams you always have to come up with I think it's really important to come up with something that correlates to the city, right? Like, in maybe I'm ignorant or wrong here. Like, I felt like the, I didn't understand the Guardians thing, honestly, at all. And I know there was an explanation for it, but to me, it right. just, I, right? Like, it didn't yeah. really, it does, felt I really mean, random. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because we're not Cleveland people. Like, people in Cleveland seem to be, I guess, a little but more into it, right? I, my buddy, who is the most diehard Cleveland baseball fan you will ever meet, uh, he's from Ohio. Now he lives in New York. He he's like, I'll never wear I'll never wear Guardians gear like huh. and it's not it's not like he he was OK with the name. He understood everything with the name change. He wasn't like ignorant or anything like that he's like, this right. is not I, it's, that's not for me. Yeah, maybe eventually he'll he'll change his tune. It's probably the initial sticker shock. He's very true. Used, he's very used to the name. It's kind of like when City Field opened. I was like, the City Field will never be home like Shea Stadium is always going to be home. But City Field has become home. It just. It's, it sometimes takes time to accept change, I guess. Joe, incredible transition. Next question from mm-hmm. Nick P says, what are your thoughts and feelings on the newly proposed City Field Samsung enhancement? Is Steve Cohen bringing Times Square to Flushing? I hope so. Like, do it up. Like, I, I Dude, it looks a, amazing. I love it. Like, obviously, like, everyone's worried about that massive screen. Like, that massive screen is going to rule when it's actually made. Like, the uh, crappy Photoshop job is not indicative of what that screen is probably going to actually look like. The minute you see that, it's going to wow you. And, you know, I had people in my mentions when I tweeted because the Mets and Samsung officially announced it like yesterday or the day before. Um, And when I tweeted that, a lot of people were like, oh, great, more distractions from watching the game. Dude, it's up to you if you watch the game. Like, you know, world we live in. Yeah. And you and you have to realize, too, that. I I used to be this way where I almost like I hate to say it this way, but I used to like judge people's fanhood like because I'm so passionate. If people weren't on my level, I used to when I was younger, think like you're not a real fan because you're just not as passionate as I am. But there's people that are, you know, casual fans that want to go to the ballpark, experience things, see food, see nice technology and like they'll check in on the game like they're not sitting in your seat with a box, with you know, with a program filling out a box score. Like there's different type of people and you want to you want to appeal to everyone. Uh, And me, I love the big screens. I'm a Cowboys fan. Like I went to AT&T Stadium when I saw that screen, like I was in awe. It was it was amazing. Like I I absolutely loved it. So for me, I love all the technology coming. Uh, I think this uh, sports betting's come to New York, so I'm sure that'll be coincided with it somehow. But man, I want to see the Mets being at the forefront of something. And it seems like they're at least moving in the direction of being at the forefront uh, from a technology standpoint. And, you know, I think it's, you know, similar to what I just said. It's like at first 
you may not like it because you're just used to city field being the way it is. But I think as as time goes on and as these things get fully implemented, which is going to be over the next two years, it said. So that that big screen, I think, is for 2023. Like, I don't think we're getting that this season. I think it's for the season after. But over time, I think, you know, a lot of you will learn to appreciate it. And uh, you'll enjoy the fact that you can go to City Field and, you know, do more than just sit in your seat and watch a game, even if that's not what I necessarily want to do. I at least can appreciate it. Me too. I think it comes down to, and this can be hard for sports fans, like you said, diehard fans, and I understand both sides of it. But I think what it comes down to is you do have to understand that not everybody necessarily likes what you like or is as diehard as you and wants a different experience. And I would rather see the Mets adapt to that than than die, right? Than just fall behind or you know, be too stubborn. And I'm not saying I don't think 80% of the people going to the ballpark are going to want to watch the TVs. Like that's not what this is, but maybe, maybe there's 10% that does. And and who cares? Like yeah. le- more people at the ballpark is better. It, right. Who And it's a, it's a more advanced ballpark that way. And I think a, a side takeaway from this to me was, and I think this is cool. Steve Cohen really cares about shedding the poverty Mets label and city field's a beautiful bar ballpark and city field didn't need this, but am I completely fine with city field getting this? Hell yeah, absolutely. It's cool, man. Like it's not, it's not damaging the aesthetic of city field in my eyes at all. Um, it's just improving the overall experience. And I think by 2020, yeah, probably 23, maybe 24, Going to a Mets game will feel like not. I don't think they'll lose the common fan thing, right? This is a really no. interesting thing to me yeah. that a lot of places struggle with. Like I look at, okay, perfect example, and this is something I could speak to very truly. Uh, MetLife Stadium, and I'm sure there's tons of Jets and Giants fans listening to this, is one of the worst fan experiences in the entire United States, and I can proudly say that. And that no ego here. I'm just being honest, and I'm glad. I'm very privileged that I could say this. I, for a long time, for two years, I traveled going to different venues, college and NFL. And I've been lucky enough to go to, you know, a couple of baseball parks. But I've been to a lot of football stadiums in my life. And I can confidently say, and why it bothers me so much is I grew up in a family that my uncle and my dad shared season tickets for the Jets since Shea Stadium. And they got priced out when MetLife opened. You can't afford a PSL. Uh, it's not worth the investment. It's just, it's a, it's a bad investment and it's not worth it. And and then, you know, I still buy single game tickets. I still go to MetLife Stadium once in a while, though I have not much appeal to do so anymore. It's pathetic. It's they priced out the common man for the most part and built a venue that is a joke. It's laughable. And forget the fact the location. And mind you, I do this. I'm in Hoboken, New Jersey now. I don't live in New York anymore. It's close to me. And it's just it's a terrible location. They share a stadium with the Giants and the Giants fans probably hate it just as much. So I look at it and go, you can't price out the common man because that's what sports is about. But you can still improve things and upgrade things. And I think as many problems as the Mets have had over the years, I think Citi Field has perfectly, perfectly walked that line. I totally agree with that. And I MetLife Stadium, I hate it. I whenever I drive by it, I you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. I've gone to a handful of games there. I just think it like I just think it looks like a tin can. 
Like that's what I call it. I call it the tin can. There's nothing to it. And maybe part of that is that it's shared between teams. So they can't make it jet centric or giant centric. It's just a gray blah, whatever place. Um, But city field, you know, like you said, as long as like doing all this doesn't lead to him hiking, uh, Steve Cohen hiking ticket prices to the moon, like go for it, like make a better, better experience for people. And, you know, as long as, like you said, as long as you're not pricing out the common people like you and me and, you know, I'm sure a good percentage of our listeners, uh, go for it. Give me the technology. Give me the fun. Give me options. Because, you know what, sometimes you're going to go to a Mets game and they're going to get their asses kicked. You're going to be down. <laughs> they're going to be down 12 to 2. Like, it happens no matter how good you are. So if the Mets are down 12 to 2, I may not be so inclined to sit in my seat for the whole game. But given that I'm from Connecticut and I'm driving all the way to do this game, I stay to the end of games. Like I told the story about my mom making us leave the Piazza home run against the Braves from the big comeback. Like I'll never, ever, ever leave a game early ever again, no matter what the score or inning or anything. But like if they're down 12-2 in the fourth inning, all right, I can get up. I can go find something to eat. I can go check out, you know, I'm sure they're going to upgrade the clubs where like you go into the clubs and you get to watch you know, the Knicks on TV at the same time or something like that, you know, like you'll have you'll have more options and, you know, it'll appeal to a, a different segment of the fan base that maybe doesn't, you know, like I said, maybe isn't directly you or I. But the reality is they're they're trying to appeal to the masses. And there's people like I have fan, I have friends that are Mets fans that are most basic fans you could get, which is not an insult. Like they're just not into it at our level, like told them they signed Max Scherzer and the response was like, oh, that that's cool. All right. Well, I guess I'll see him at the stadium then. Like no excitement, no like juice, but like they love going to games and, you know, you just have to you have to find a way to appeal to as many people as possible. And that's exactly it. All right. Last question from the mailbag and hopefully these loaded mailbags are a thing during the lockout because it's a lot of fun honestly it's the way we can do an hour show uh rather than talking about news that doesn't exist eric r asked would you rather end the off season with package a castillo br and chafin b rodon donaldson and rogers c mania chapman and McHugh. so basically he's he's given us a position player a starter and a reliever and all these Option D, create your own ideal wish list. So I'm not going to do that because I really do like being forced to take one of the three packages that Eric uh, kindly took the time to make. And then he said, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Eric. That's a it's a great question. And you know what? I usually jump the jump on these and it, it doesn't make it as fun for you, Joe. So I'm going to let you choose first. And you could ask again if you forgot any of them. Nope, I got it. And I I, I feel like I know what your answer is going to be, but I'll, I'll wait and see if do. I'm right. Uh, so I'm going I'm actually going to go option C. Um, I'm going to trade, you know, Jeff McNeil and a uh, couple prospects. I'm going to go get Sean Mania get a lefty in the rotation that can fit in that three, four slot comfortably. Um, Not a long contractual commitment to him, which I think is a good thing. You know, obviously if he comes and pitches fantastic, you can always give him more money later, but you have that flexibility, which I think is what the Mets want to maintain. Uh, Matt Chapman, you bring him in. That's your third baseman platinum glove. Like you're going to have Matt Chapman and Francisco Lindor on the left side of your infield, just catching everything. Um, that 
that to me is exciting. Obviously, Chapman has his flaws at the plate, strikes out a million times. Uh, not like a crazy good on base guy, but he does draw some walks. Uh, as Wardy told us, gave us that stat on YouTube this past week. We had a uh, Wardy on. If you don't know him, uh, check out his YouTube channel. But Matt Chapman apparently saw the most pitches per at bat in baseball this past year. So this is a guy that sees a lot of pitches. Uh, maybe that's a reason why he has a lot of strikeouts, but he'll also pop you 25, 30 home runs. And, you know, we've talked about on this podcast that the Mets could use one more like juice of power in the lineup. So you shift Eduardo Escobar over to second, you play Matt Chapman at third, and then Kyle McHugh is just a funny story, man. Like a Mets prospect that came up and was like a pseudo like swing man, fit starter, whatever kind of guy. They just like dump him for Eric Young Jr. And uh, McHugh has had a fantastic run. Like if you go look at his last couple years, um, he's been absolutely fantastic. And if you go and look at his baseball savant numbers, like his advanced metrics are even better than his actual numbers. So McHugh to me, I think would make quite a difference. You know, of course you'd have to, you do want to add a lefty. So I'm hoping that, um, I could sneak like a minor league deal to someone or get some lefty in, in addition to these three. But I think that's the best combination of kind of certainty. Cause when I look at the other ones, I see much more uh, risk as far as what they'll be able to provide. But I'm interested to see what you say. And I will tell you if my guess is right. So you're going to be surprised, but I agree with you. And oh, okay. I, so you were going to say I, I was going to choose option A. Oh, 100 percent. You're you yeah. are you, Jonathan VR to you is Edwin Diaz to me. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. In reality, I want option A. But okay. putting aside my being a fan, I go. I think option C is the best for this baseball team. Now, if you asked me this question before the offseason began, I would have said a 10 out of 10 times. I, I, I like Castillo. I think he's a little overrated. And I'm tired of him being like the guy in every trade rumor every year. And that's not his fault. I'm oh. just, it, I fatigue. OK, he's right? a stud, man. He's a stud. he's great. But, but I think he's I, I think he's a little overrated. I think a lot of people uh, I think a lot of people think he's like a top the top one of the top pitchers in the game. I don't agree with that either way. That's, yeah, that's besides fair. that. I love Chafin. I want this team to come out of the lockout and get Chafin. So. And everybody knows how I feel about VR. I loved when they signed him last year. Um, he hit a home run out of what one of the three Met games I went to that like went to the moon. I think VR plays pretty good glove wherever you put him. He's an absolute lunatic on the base paths, which is not really great, but it's still fun to watch. But the the right ant there is a right answer here. It's C because it gives you everything in a in you nailed it, Joe. It's the reliability. That's what it is like chap. They need power and Chapman is an incredible glove at third and this gives them reliable arms. So a is like maybe the fun one, the most fun one. C is the most level headed choice in my eyes. Yeah, I, I think totally agree with you there. I think C C makes the most sense from that perspective, but there's there's positives to all of them. Uh, the one I like least is probably B. Um, I'm not really into adding the risk that is Carlos Rodon. Too much risk. Yeah. And Donaldson's Do money. Donaldson's money, age, can't really play defense anymore. Um, and like I, I look at that option B as more like, all right, you take on Donaldson's money to get Taylor Rogers for cheap, I guess. Um, 
yeah, to me, that one's not quite worth it. Option A is intriguing. The only thing that, obviously, adding Castillo, you get that big three of Jake, Scherzer, Castillo. Um, and you're not needing Castillo to be, like you said, you know, maybe some people think he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and maybe he's not. Uh, you're not really needing him to to be that as the number three. My issue actually would be with uh, VR. Like, because uh, if I'm getting Castillo, I'm assuming I'm parting with Jeff McNeil in this deal. Thus, Jonathan VR is being thrusted into an everyday role. And I think the that's Met- fair. And I think the Mets are in a position where, like, if Jonathan VR came back, I'd be excited if he could be that utility guy who, guess what? He was signed to be a utility guy this year. And then everyone gets hurt and he's going to play anyway. Um, I, so I wouldn't really want to sign VR to like be like, you are our third baseman in a year where we're trying to completely turn it around. But I'm game to bring uh, VR back as a depth piece if he doesn't get a starting job elsewhere. Um, and Chafin, like you said, obviously is the perfect fit as a left-handed reliever. So A and C are great. Um, I just think C makes a little more sense. All right. Fair enough. And with that, that is our mailbag. That is our show. Episode 75, the K-Rod episode. Joe, closing thoughts before we see everyone again on the YouTube stream on Thursday. Another good episode. Really appreciate all the questions from you all. Like when I put out that tweet every Tuesday, I don't know if I'm going to get five responses, 10 responses. Scary feeling, right? (laughs) We we always get enough for sure to fill the show. Like, and that, and that's a big thanks to everyone. But today, like Connor said, we got 40 questions. So um, keep bringing them and we're going to try to continue to answer as many as we can, especially as we, as we continue through this lockout, Um, we'll have, you know, maybe a couple guests on the YouTube channel and maybe we'll put some of that, some of that stuff in here. Uh, So it's going to be, you know, a, a fun month plus here, but, you know, stick with us. We're going to keep having fun with you guys. We're going to keep talking Mets and uh, yeah, check out the YouTube channel on Thursday. We'll have, you know, a, a good guest there and, you know, just stay tuned to all our stuff and yeah, appreciate all the support. As always, good. one day I just want you to, to just be like, yeah, today wasn't really the best of shows, but we'll try again next week. <laughs> I, I genuinely appreciate that you, you always think it's a good show. And I agree. We have uh, we, we're on a streak here. We're on a good we're on a really, really good streak. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.